Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome everybody to Caregiving Club On Air and our episode on Caring for Our Dads, National Home Safety Month, and Music and Brain Health. I'm your host, Sherry Snelling, and in honor of June, National Home Safety Month, we have a really wonderful guest today, Ken Deering, who is the CEO of iGuard Home Solutions, and Ken is going to tell us about a wonderful solution for preventing home fires and particularly for our older loved ones. And so we can't wait to talk to Ken about those things. And then in our caregiver wellness news, we are going to focus on, in addition to our home safety month, we're also going to celebrate Father's Day, which is June 19th. And we're going to touch upon the recent story of Bruce Willis, who recently announced his diagnosis of aphasia. We're going to talk about what is aphasia? What are the risk factors? Because aphasia can be connected to dementia. And since June is also Alzheimer's and Brain Health Awareness Month, we thought that this was a good topic to cover. We're also going to touch upon, as I mentioned, music and brain health. And we've got several things happening this month. First of all, on June 21st, we have three celebrations. One is it's the longest day of the year, which is often tied to a lot of fundraisers and activities and events going on for Alzheimer's. It's also Global Wellness Day, and it also happens to be World Music Day. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about music and brain health, and then we're also going to curate our list of our favorite Beatles tunes because the World Beatles Music Day is June 25th, and we're going to talk about our favorite Beach Boy and surf tunes because June is also International Surf Music Month. And then in Well Home Design, we're going to talk about our home safety checklist from our Well Home Design overall checklist. So we'll share some tips there for you. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up, as always, with our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack on music and brain health. So let's get started with our caregiver wellness news. So for our caregiver wellness news, as I mentioned, June is Alzheimer's and Brain Health Awareness Month. And we know from the most recent report that came out from the Alzheimer's Association Facts and Figures, which they do every year, that we have 6.5 million Americans who are living with Alzheimer's today. And of course, that number is expected to grow exponentially, more than double by the year 2050. We also know that two thirds of all of those who have Alzheimer's are women. And then a a report that came out in something called the Lancet Commission, which is a very credible collaboration of scientists and researchers who look at neuroscience and, and brain health and Alzheimer's and dementia. They came out with a report a couple of years ago that showed that 40% of the risk that we have with Alzheimer's and dementia 
are around lifestyle factors and our choices in our lifestyle. And so there were a lot of things like sleep and obviously managing stress better, moving more, some typical things. But there were also things like what kind of an environment do you live in? How's the air quality? You know, do you smoke? Those types of things. So it's a really interesting report. We're going to have a link to it on our episode guide page. But this kind of leads me into a couple of two new pieces of news that are in the Alzheimer's world that I wanted to share with you. The first is that Maria Shriver, who has obviously been a longtime champion of Alzheimer's disease, her father, Sergeant Shriver, had been diagnosed with with Alzheimer's and she's been a big champion and done many, many things in the Alzheimer's community. But she started the Women's Alzheimer's Movement and she has now partnered with the Cleveland Clinic. And a lot of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement was around advocacy and putting out reports, particularly along things like women having a greater risk for the disease, but also around these lifestyle factors. So there's going to be a lot more programs and services and other things that will come out of that collaboration with the Cleveland Clinic. So that's exciting. And then something else I wanted to share share with you that was just very recent, came out right before I started to record this podcast. It was a study that was done of 17,000 adults over the age of 65. And it found that people who walk even just 5% slower than, let's say, their, their peers, and also have certain signs of mental processing, cognitive decline, have a much higher risk for dementia. So what this is telling us is that the actual gait of your walking can sometimes be one of those early warning signs that perhaps there is an issue. And I think particularly if the gait changes. Now, of course, as we age, you know, we don't walk quite as fast. Maybe we have a little arthritis, joints and tendons are a little tender. But if you notice that there is a significant difference with your loved one in how, you know, fast they're walking, I'm a fast walker. So it would be really apparent with me if all of a sudden I was getting really slow and there wasn't a reason for it. You know, I hadn't twisted my ankle or something. So it's just one of those things that we want to keep in mind as one of those additional potential risk factors. And of course, scientists and researchers are doing so much. In fact, next month, I'll be going to the International Alzheimer's Association Dementia Conference, which is held in different cities all over the world, but it just happens to be in my backyard in San Diego in July this year. So I'll be attending that and there'll be a lot more. I'm sure I'll be able to share with you on some of the research and some of the different studies and things that are that are going on out there. But we do know that moving and walking are very helpful for brain health because again, it increases our aerobic exercise, which helps increase the size of the hippocampus. Now the hippocampus is kind of like that little seahorse looking inside of your brain. If you ever see a diagram of a brain, it's kind of a, the hippocampus is where memory and also a lot of learning is housed. And this, these are some of the things that we see with dementia when it's diagnosed. Obviously we know the memory loss is a big one, but the learning, the ability to not necessarily learn new things is another sign of Alzheimer's risk. So just a couple of interesting things there. And then I mentioned up front that June 21st, we've got three things going on. So it's the longest day of the year. It's the summer solstice. So this is where we get just a few extra minutes of sunshine. Hopefully we'll have sunshine everywhere, but we get a few extra minutes in the day. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is, you know, the Alzheimer's Association has kind of captured the attention of everybody through the longest day by asking people to do fundraisers and activities 
around Alzheimer's and brain health awareness. And it's also on that day, June 21st, Global Wellness Day and also World Music Day. So, you know, a lot of this episode is really focused around how music actually can help us with brain health and what are the things that we need to know about music. So there'll be a lot going on, but we know that making music, which is different from listening, right? Because listening is more passive. You know, if you're in the car or you're sitting at home and you're listening to music, there are still some health benefits to that. And I get into that, by the way, in the Meet Time Monday wellness hack. So stay with us until the end, because you're going to learn a lot there. But making music, which means you're singing along, or if you're a musician or you play an instrument, you're actually making music. That is actually neuroprotective. And in fact, there was a study done that showed that musicians have a 64% lowered risk for Alzheimer's disease later in life because of their ability to make music. And so there's a lot of research that's being done in this area, but one of the great things I think about music, and it really also taps into helping our older adults who may have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, we do know that the region of the brain that houses music memory the longest is actually the last area of the brain to atrophy. It's, it's, you know, in Alzheimer's, our brain cells are actually dying and we call that atrophy. And so this is the area of the brain that houses music is the last place to kind of go. And that's why you see these amazing things. I don't know. I mentioned in an episode of, I think it was last season about Tony Bennett, who obviously has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease can't really carry on a conversation, has some difficulty with language and all that. But the minute the music starts playing, he rocks it. He's right back into being Tony Bennett. So it's pretty amazing. It's it's very much almost like a miracle when you watch some of these things. And, and I've been in the dementia community for a long time and music therapy, which again, we talk about in the Me Time Monday Wellness Hackers is a really big therapeutic tool for loved ones with Alzheimer's disease. So there's also an app called SyncFit. I just want to do a shout out because I, I know the founders and creators, and one of them is actually a music therapist, but SyncFit is a wonderful app that you can get on your phone. They work with a lot of assisted living and memory care communities, but they also now have an app that you can use as a family caregiver at home with your loved one. And it gets, it kind of taps into the tunes, you know, of your loved one's era and it gets them into singing along. And again, very, very helpful. They've done a lot of studies showing the health benefits of getting a loved one with Alzheimer's to kind of sing along. So you may want to check out that SingFit app, really great solution. And then also, you know, I forgot to mention that June, there's a lot going on in June. June is also Employee Wellbeing Month. And so in the Me Time Monday Wellness Hack, I talk a little bit about what kind of music makes us more productive, what kind of music helps us sleep better. So these are all things that are really great for those of us who are working. And, you know, for employers, it's interesting to take a look at some of the science now around music and how you might employ that in your workplace in terms of things that you might do or allow your workers, you know, to have certain music that they can actually play while they're at work or whatever. So just some really interesting things along those lines, because we know that, again, music can reduce stress. It makes us more creative and more productive. It's a pain reliever. So uh, I go through all those details in the Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. And then in pop culture, I just want to really quickly do a shout out because June 25th is Global Beatles Day. And, you know, I, I had some fun and I went through and listened to 
all of the Beatles tunes, which I mean, you know, such an amazing band, right? So I share with you my favorite Beatles tunes for June 25th, Global Beatles Day. But I also couldn't leave out the Beach Boys because, you know, I grew up in Southern California and this is Beach Boys culture out here with all the surf and sun and everything. So June is International Surf Music Month. So I wanted to do a shout out to the Beach Boys. So I also give you my favorite Beach Boys tunes and a couple other surf tunes thrown in there like Wipeout. I mean, you know, that's like one of the most classic surf tunes out there. And then lastly, in the meantime, Monday wellness hack, I didn't have enough time to include my list uh, in my discussion of music and brain health, but I did want to let you know that on the episode guide page, I'm going to have links to all of my favorite tunes that I just mentioned from the Beatles and the Beach Boys. And then I'm also going to give you my list, my playlist for classical music that helps us sleep better. Now, of course, all of us have preferences in, you know, maybe the kinds of uh, classical musicians that you love. I happen to be a huge Beethoven fan. You know, I don't know if that's because of the Peanuts and Schroeder love Beethoven. But anyway, I love Beethoven. So I've got a couple of those, but I have some others as well. Gabrielle uh, Fauré, one of my favorite classical tunes is Pauvain. And so I'll have links to those as well. So you can check those out and also kind of curate your own list. And then I want to turn to Father's Day on June 19th. So the recent news about Bruce Willis, I think, was distressful because he's such an icon in the Hollywood community with all the diehard movies. And I, of course, loved him from Moonlighting years ago that he did on television and so many other things. And, you know, one of the one of my favorite movies recently is Red, where he played a retired spy, which was pretty hilarious. But anyway, he recently announced his family recently announced that he has aphasia. And because he's such a great dad, he's he's a he's a girl dad. I think he has all girls from both of his marriages. But I wanted to talk a little bit about aphasia because I've had a lot of people who know that I work in dementia say to me, is this a kind of Alzheimer's? Is this is kind of a dementia. And so, you know, I want to explain what aphasia is because I think it is a little confusing for people. So I'm going to read to you some of the statistics and some of the information here. So A recent study that was done by the National Aphasia Association showed that nine in 10 people don't know what aphasia is. So if you're one of those people that's been asking that question, you are in the majority. Most people don't really know what that term means. So aphasia really relates to language and kind of our ability to communicate. It is a language disorder and it's typically, okay, a result of a traumatic brain injury. So something that has happened to your brain. Now it can either be, you know, something maybe from sports, it can be a stroke, you know, which of course happens to our brains. It could be a clot or an aneurysm in the brain. And in fact, the stroke and aneurysms are about 40% of all aphasia cases that are out there, but it can also be a brain tumor or even a brain infection. So, you know, a virus that can attack your brain. So these are all the different types of aphasia. Now, the question of, you know, is aphasia a kind of dementia? There are some connections but not typically. So as I mentioned, most of it comes from brain injury, brain trauma, but there's something called primary aggressive aphasia, and this is called PPA. Now, this is a rare neurological syndrome and it affects your, it's very similar, affects your ability to communicate and people have trouble expressing thoughts and understanding, you know, language and words, and they get words jumbled up or letters jumbled up and sentences can't find the right word sometimes. And it typically comes on gradually in your fifties and sixties. 
and it worsens over time, which is a typical kind of progression of any kind of dementia. So it's typically tied to frontotemporal dementia. And again, frontotemporal dementia often is, is sometimes linked to traumatic brain injuries. Okay. So a lot of people who played football or hockey or boxing will sometimes have frontotemporal dementia, but it is where there's been some kind of degeneration in the brain. So it is different. If you get a brain injury, you don't necessarily end up with frontotemporal dementia or this PPA. However, sometimes they can also be associated, but it is, it is definitely, you know, different. And there are people who never had an injury and never had any problems with their brains who still end up with primary progressive aphasia. And in fact, I interviewed Kimberly Williams Paisley, who is the actress from Father of the Bride. And, you know, she's married to Brad Paisley, the country singer. And she wrote a book called Where the Light Gets In, Losing My Mother Only to Find Her Again. And her mother had PPA. And so she talks about that journey. She talks about the fact that nobody really knew what this was. And it's a really great interview. I'll include a link to the article that I wrote about that. So what are some of the things just from aphasia? You know, we know that, again, it it is tied to language problems. And so some of the things that, you know, you may want to look out for are, as I said, unrecognizable words, like they're, you know, your loved one's using a really weird word or the sentence is jumbled. And so usually you have to get a blood test or go through a brain scan, you know, usually a functional MRI or a PET scan in order to determine if maybe it is a tumor. So you can have brain surgery. If it's a stroke, certainly you can go through speech therapy that helps a lot of stroke victims to regain their communication skills. There are some solutions out there for caregivers, but what you want to do is you want to have notepads or note cards so that your loved one can communicate more, maybe sometimes by writing pictures, because even their ability to write words is going to be difficult. So it's both in the comprehension of writing and saying words, but sometimes they can write pictures and things. And those are, or definitely ask yes and no questions. Don't ask them to explain things, give them the ability to answer something in either yes or no. And those are, those are also typical communication skills that we use with a, a lot of Alzheimer's patients as well. And then just going back to Father's Day, I wanted to just do a couple of little shout outs because, you know, it's really interesting. There was a study that was done by, I think it was, oh, I can't remember who it was now and I'll get it wrong. So I don't want to say, but anyway, it was a life insurance company from a few years ago that showed that more dads are willing to talk about long-term care plans with their adult children than moms. Interesting. And I think that's because dads want to make sure things are taken care of. It's like, Hey, I got this. Here's, here's the plan. So maybe that's a little bit, you know, part of it. But the other thing is that more dads usually are moving in when they're widowed or divorced with one of their children, rather than necessarily going into something like assisted living or memory care. So we have more dads who are moving in with, you know, their adult children, whereas moms, on the other hand, about 47% of women over the age of 75 who are living alone are our moms. And so those are just some stats that I thought were kind of interesting. And then, you know, when we talk to dads about caregiving, they don't like that word for the most part. Now, these are kind of some broad strokes that I'm making. Your father may be very different, but it's that vulnerability. You know, it's that reminder that maybe they're not as in control as they want to be, or maybe they need help and they don't really want to admit it. And so we typically in the world of aging and taking care of fathers, we don't talk about the word caregiver. We don't say, hey, dad, I'm going to have a caregiver come in and, and do some things for you. 
usually what you want to say is we need to get you some help. So maybe, you know, we're going to have an assistant come in or we're going to have somebody come in that can kind of just make meals and, you know, just clean a little bit. So it's, it's a subtlety, but it's a really important one because it kind of, it gives that dignity. I think back to our dads, whereas moms seem more open to the word caregiver. It's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've been a caregiver. I know what that is fine. Yeah. Somebody can care for me now. So they don't have as much of a problem with that word. So I just wanted to give you that input because if you're dealing with a father who might be getting older, you just want to be a little sensitive to some of these words that, you know, that we're definitely using. So with all of that, as I said, we are going to go into this wonderful interview with Ken Deer who is the CEO of iGuard Home Solutions. We have some stats for you, which are pretty astounding around fires in the home and particularly the ones that happen in the kitchen. And this is one of the, one of the you know, biggest risks, I think, for our older loved ones, particularly our older loved ones who might be living alone. So you're really going to want to listen to this interview with Ken. He's got so many great you know, pieces of information, but he's also got a really great solution. This is something that I think every single one of us should have in our homes because home fires can happen to every anybody. So it's really not age related. So here is our interview with Ken Deering. Welcome everybody. And as we've talked about, June is National Home Safety Month. And I'm so thrilled to have our expert guest on today, who is Ken Deering, who is the CEO of iGuard Home Solutions. And he's going to tell us about one of those solutions that is definitely helping to keep our older loved ones safer at home. And something we should all be thinking about, actually, I think, in terms of the solutions that Ken will talk about. But before we get into introducing Ken, I want to just give you a couple of statistics that Ken has shared with me. And, you know, we know that adults age 65 and over are two and a half times more likely to die in a fire at home. And in fact, there was a study and a report that was done by the U.S. Fire Association that found that 50% of home fires were caused by forgotten or unattended stove cooking. And we know that people over the age of 85 were more likely to die in a home fire, particularly from these unattended um, cooking fires than any other age group. So kind of giving you those sober statistics, we're going to bring on the person who's going to tell us the solution to all of this, to keeping all of our loved ones safe. And that is Ken Deering. And Ken, I'm just really thrilled to have you on Caregiving Club On Air podcast. Welcome. Yeah, it's great to be here, Sherry. Thanks. Sure. So one of the things we always ask our guests right off the bat is where are we talking to you from today? My wife and I live just outside Seattle, but I've actually on the start of my first post-COVID long business trip. So right now I'm in uh, Tampa, Florida. Right. And you were telling me that the weather's a little, little humid, a little hot for you right now, right? <laughs> yeah. And what I didn't know is that there's the daily thunderstorm. So it gets the humidity pops and the thunderstorms roll through, and then I'm told about two or three, all of a sudden the, the, the blue skies come, and, and then it's just hot and sunny. Yeah, I faced that myself. I was there about a year ago, and it's definitely a place where, you know, you're having the bad hair day when those thunderstorms hit. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you've got that part covered. But anyway, Ken, I wanted to, you know, get into this really important discussion. And I thought first, though, I wanted to have you tell us the story behind iGuard Home Solutions and how the company got started, because there is kind of a personal story here. So tell us that story, and then we'll launch into all of these other questions I have for you. Sure. So so both of us. So a gentleman called Bill Ferguson, Canadian like me. He's the founder of the company. I have joined 
Bill on this uh, mission-driven adventure we're on as CEO, but the product came out of his mother had what they call such a late person's term, chemo brain. She was taking chemotherapy and she had cognitive memory issues caused by the chemotherapy, which is quite common. And almost simultaneously, his aunt had early stage dementia starting. So there were there were two family members with cognitive memory issues who were suddenly causing the potential and actually turned out to be the real risk of forgotten cooking or unattended cooking actually from the spouses taking care of them and leaving leaving the kitchen. So the genesis comes from the Ferguson family and then Bill was involved in it and then it solved the family mem- issue and then uh, Bill decided to give move on from his commercial real estate company and go full-time on this. It's been so beneficial to both the parents on both sides of the family, but also for himself and his siblings as and such. So he really turned it in from a basic product. He turned it into the product we have now, iGuard Stove, which is a fully capable, smart home product uh, that's built around the core of the cooking fire prevention. And myself, uh, my story is that uh, I'm the youngest, I have older sisters, and my mom had always said, she always wanted to remain in her home. So take care of it if something came along. And she was a very vibrant, vigorous uh, 75 year old when she said that when my dad passed away. And so several years later, she encountered an issue, broke a leg, and it, it as part of the recovery, turned out well, they did a MOCA test, which is a functional thinking and memory test. It's a standardized test. And she was very strong on, on all the logical, rational side, functional that, but she had a very low memory score. And they told us it could be temporary or not from the surgery. And they then said, you now have to, as the adult children of aging in place parent, you need to assess what risks that considers she's living on her own. And that began this whole research. I'm the only guy and also the youngest. So for two reasons, I was tasked to do this. And that's when we discovered, we had no thought that fire was such a risk for an aging in place parent. We just didn't understand that before that. And that led me to uh, finding Bill's product. And the key was for us, um, we just felt that the smoke alarm wasn't sufficient to solve it. I'm brand new, but she had about 25 year old ones. And that led me to keep looking till I found something that prevented it. And Bill's, it still is the only product on the market that prevents the cooking fire from forgotten cooking events. And so it was such a fabulous experience, my siblings and for my mom, who was almost almost two years longer, she was able to remain in her home because of the product that when, when she did pass, I had been working part-time consulting through that period of time. I just told Bill, look, if you want me, I'm all in. Like, this is so good. We need to turn this into a very well-known company and just serve other people like ourselves and the parents of people like ourselves out there. And that, that's how I've come to be on, on this along with Bill Ferguson. Well, and, you know, you hit upon a couple of really key things, I think, here. First of all, can you know, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and people who are really innovating in um, in this space of helping us to all live, you know, healthier and happier and longer. And it usually does come out of a personal experience and story. And so I think that's so, you know, that's that's so important because it really shows that you understand this problem and and what the solutions need to be. I think the other thing too that you hit upon is that, you know, with with everything from the global pandemic we've just been through, everybody really does want to keep their loved ones at home and close. And I know that ARP had done a study saying, hey, eight, almost nine out of 10 Americans over 65 want to stay living in their home as long as possible. And now I think we're all really dedicated to this. 
But what you said is so true. We as family caregivers or adult children, we don't even know what the solutions are that are out there, which is one of the reasons why I love having people like you on this podcast so we can help share this great information. But tell us a little bit about how, first of all, iGuard Stove works, because as you mentioned, it's phenomenal. When I really learned about the product from, from you and from John, who I also talked to, you know, you think about smoke alarms being the first defense, but really they're kind of a little bit lagging behind what you guys are doing. So tell us how this all works. Before I do, uh, just the other reason I looked for a preventive product, what my mother's geriatric doctor had said was because she did have short-term memory issues, she was terrific in conversation that, but some things just didn't stay. What he said was, by the way, because we said, hey, we, we got all the newest smoke detectors. He said, she might not know what it is. And it was like, pardon me? He says, I told you, you put new things in their home. And when's the last time the smoke detector went off? We said, I don't think it's ever gone off. And, and that was like, and that would really shocked us. And so that's why we felt good for about two weeks until my sister went back there. And he just said, she may not recognize what it is. And she may not recognize she now has a fire risk. And so that's what led us to keep pursuing it. So, so the basics is, and it's, it's going to sound so simple, but there was a lot of research went into it. So essentially, because we don't rely on the person to turn us on, the product on or anything, we rely on detection of proximity. You don't stay in front of the stove. We look th basically throughout the kitchen. So when your person walks up and creates a cooking event, turns on a burner or the oven, our product, iGuide Stove, goes from passive mode into monitoring. It wakes up and goes, okay, I'm supposed to pay attention. And now it just keeps looking in the kitchen area. And as long as someone stays within the kitchen, nothing happens. Uh, but if someone, if everyone who is in the kitchen, one person or more, as we call it, abandons the kitchen and does it for five continuous minutes, we turn off the power. And see, this is one thing we do. It's fully automated. We literally turn off the electricity, we turn it off. If you have gas, we use a Honeywell valve that's worldwide known and plumbers put it in everywhere for us and we turn off the gas. So there's no requirement for anyone to do anything. Now, of course, there was an audible alert and a flashing light says with, you know, please return to the kitchen. But if they don't acknowledge that and return, off it goes. Yeah. One, one question I have is, so is it sensor, you know, is it based on a sensor noticing that there's someone no longer, there's no longer that sensor activity near the stove? Is that what there's it no is? no activity in the kitchen. Right. In the yeah. kitchen. And we'll, why it's simple, it took a lot of Bill Ferguson's time and field trials to make sure pets didn't act, you know, that you couldn't, if you left a large dog in the kitchen with them going by, cause it to think some of their, no. So we don't have false positives. It knows when there's no people left in the kitchen and it starts counting down from five minutes. If you return, it just goes back up to five minutes, but if no one returns, it, it turns it off. So a couple of quick questions. So you mentioned that this is a, a smart home solution, smart tech solution for the home. Do you have to have an Alexa or, you know, Google Home or something to have this operate? Yeah, great question. So the core functionality does not require us to be connected to Wi-Fi or anything. So the basic monitoring and turning off the stove, you get that regardless if you bother to hook us up to the internet and therefore to the cloud or, or Alexa or anything. So it always functions that way. Just the benefit of connecting to the internet is several things. One is we record no cameras because we believe in the dignity and privacy of the people's home. So, but we record everything that goes on in the, in the sense of how many cooking events there are, but more importantly, 
and this is where we differentiate ourselves, is we can tell you if there's been no cooking event, auto shutoffs, but then you can see oh, maybe four months later, if there might be two, and then three months later, it might be 25. And you have a clear objective data point that there's something causing them to forget or leave unattended the kitchen. And I can tell you, I mean, my, my siblings and I, we all love their mom equally, but we had perceptual differences of my mom's, how she was doing. And it's because sometimes I had one sister talk to her every night on the phone, but I saw her more and my other sister saw her more. And this data point, which fortunately lets you have something objective and then you don't have opinions of how are they doing? Is the memory getting worse or not? So that's one of the benefits. And two other quick things. If you do connect us to the internet, um, we have the good morning message. And, and once we put that in about a year ago, we got all these compliments. So if you want to know when someone first comes into the kitchen, not touch the stove, just comes into the kitchen, we call it the good morning message. And you'll just get a text saying, kitchen activity notice. And a lot, we got all these comments that it's so nice to know I no longer call in the morning to ask if they're up and how they're doing. And the other thing is, and this is the one we utilized, was um, we had a good morning no activity alarm. So at 9.30, which is an hour after mom usually came in, if there was no activity yet detected, my sister who lived closest, she would get a text alert, which happened twice in those two years, saying there's no activity. And both times when my sister called, mom said she had kind of raspy throat both times. And she said, oh, I just wasn't feeling well. Well, she was 91. And you don't let that go too long. So my sister knew she wasn't up, called and said, well, what, what's going on, mom? You don't seem to be that well. And she it turned out to be nothing. Both times they went to the doctor was nothing, but it was just good to know that there was a ability to know that they're not in the, they haven't entered the kitchen at all. Well, and I love, for, for, first of all, I love the fact that the family caregiver can get the notification right on their smartphone. So is that via an app that you would download or is it you go online and go into like a, an account? Currently we're still, we're still a startup. So currently it's a web, it's a web app, but it's, it's all one page. So you don't go through eight different places. There's a single page you say, who do you want to know about the good morning message? Who do you want to know if they don't come in? Who do you want to have a look at the reports we have? And you just pick and choose. And so you could have three people on the no activity, but only one gets a good morning message and things like that. And, and it's simple. Once you set someone in one place in the directory, you just pick and choose which one, which things you want them to do. Well, and what's so great is it's, you know, obviously it's the fire you know, hazard and crisis that you're preventing, but you're right. You also get a sense of patterns, you know, because so often, even when we ask our loved ones, you know, well, how are you doing or whatever you get the, Oh, I'm good. You don't really see, you know, some of the realities and these patterns are so, so great. Now I just want to make it really simple for our audience to kind of visualize since they're listening to us. So there's actually kind of like a, a product that you would put, is it, does it go onto the back of the stove? Is that correct? And is that something you can install yourself or do you have to have, you know, somebody come in to do that? So in the U.S. and Canada, 80% of all stoves are electric and 20% are gas, depending on region. Of the electric, 98% of them have a prong plug that goes into the wall. And so we are, if you can, if you can attach an extension cord you can install us. And actually, we just did a survey. 85% of our customers had themselves or a family member. They did not pay anybody because literally unplug from the wall, you plug into our box, and then we have a plug goes back into the wall. You're 
parts done. And then because we want 100% certainty that the message will get down to turn it off, we don't use pairing or anything like that. We have a very small, tiny cable. You go up and either double-sided tape or two screws, you put it's about the size of a toothpaste box. The next generation, which will be out next year, will be much smaller, but it's about the size of a toothpaste box. You just attach it to the under cabinet on either side and you're done. So typically 10 minutes or less, you're up and running. Then if you want, you connect to your Wi-Fi network um, and, and away you go. So gas, we always say licensed gas plumber or that because you're dealing with gas. Yes, I, I know. I, I wouldn't want to try and tip that on my own either. And again, I, we, I didn't intend to do this. So I didn't know my mom was such an archetype for the need and the, and the customer. And she was, she was common in, in the things that happened to her. So the other thing is the parent doesn't know or acknowledge the risk factor generally. So we, in my case, it was my older, one of my older sisters said, you look, and then we found it. My mom, we told her mom and she says, well, I, I don't need that. I'm fine. Cause she was physically moving around. She was cooking. And we said, mom, you said you wouldn't stay in your home. We said, yes. Said, we need to hook it up to allow that to happen. And she said, okay. And several times, you know, over the next two years, I go pick her up to go do something. And she'd say, I don't do anything with that. Why is it there? And I said, let's stay in your home, mom. And she'd get a big smile and go, okay. And, and off we go. So I do need to really need to be, it's normal that it's the adult child, typically the daughter and daughter-in-law who gets involved in deciding something needs to occur and it's just totally normal and it takes a little nudging is a general terminology very technical term that that you convince the parent to let you put it in even if the parent's buying it you still you have to have that discussion and in our case my mom trusted us that if we said she needed it that was it even though she disagreed that she had any risk so i, I just want to say it's very common that issue we ran into and with some gentle discussion, it worked. And, and therefore, she had two years longer in her home. Yeah. Well, and that's the part I love. You know, the fact that you're giving your loved ones this ability to stay in their home and, and be there safely. And also, you have the peace of mind, you know, as, as the uh, adult son and adult daughter. And, you know, I think it's really great, too, that you've built in, okay, because a lot of older adults don't like to necessarily embrace certain um, smart home technology because of the privacy and invasion factor, you know, who's watching me, who's listening to me. And the fact that you you don't record them and it is there is a privacy aspect to this, I think is really critical. Now, just a quick question. So if the stove is turned off because, you know, I haven't been in the kitchen for a while or my mom hasn't or whatever, is it easy to turn everything back on? You don't have, I mean, you know, how how simple is that? In the electric situation, we actually have a auto resume. There's a difference between coming back at seven minutes versus 42 minutes. So if you come back in, we have a window in which if you come back in, we tell you we're about to re-engage the stove. And on the electric side, we will re-engage the burner. Typically, it's a burner as opposed to the oven. We re-engage and, and away you go. We say stove reactivation, we beep, beep, beep. Anyway, you go next generation when we are integrated with Alexa and Siri and Google, we're going to voice that. We will also be able to say throughout the home, please return to the kitchen as opposed to having trying to, you know, you have a beeping going off. So um, on the gas, no, because gas is different and we've shut off the gas flow. You turn off the burner first and then you tell us that you've got, you're ready to start up your gas side again. Okay, great. The other thing people always ask about 
if you know you're going to leave the kitchen intentionally. In my case, I make the chicken broth in the wintertime. It's two and a half hours. So all you do is there's one button that goes up by 30 minute increments. So you go and you go, you tap it and you're telling it, I intend to leave. So please don't do anything at five minutes. In my case, I touch it up to three hours because I come back at about two and a half to say, okay, the chicken broth's done. I take it off the burner. So there's it. There is an easy way to cook the roast, to cook the turkey, simmer the sauce that allows it. Also, one thing, we've done this for almost four years. We learned that there are parents that they don't want to allow that to happen, given that power. So you can turn that off. So five minutes is it, and they cannot override it without a passcode being entered into it. And that's just a gain to protect the parent from that situation where they shouldn't be given the ability to say, oh, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to go watch part of the football game. Uh, just I'll be back in an hour. Right. Well, you, you mentioned chemo brain and, and my stepdad who battled leukemia at the end, he he had a lot of the chemo brain, you know, cognitive issues that you were talking about. But for for people who have someone who's been diagnosed with a dementia or an Alzheimer's, you know, we know that these are these are very common things to just forget that you turned on the stove or that you're cooking. I, I mean, I'll be honest, I've even done it. Had. I've turned on the stove and I've been really tired. I sat down to maybe watch television, totally forgot I've got the pasta burning, you know, on the stove or whatever. So I definitely need one of these. There's been some other quote unquote solutions out there. I know that one that came from one of the Alzheimer's nonprofit organizations said, oh, well, you can get a magnetic fire extinguisher and then it drops baking soda or whatever, but it still requires the smoke alarm to go off. And you taught me something in the fact that how long it takes for those smoke alarms to go off versus your solution. So, so just explain that for our audience. Yeah. Well, again, so we've turned off the stove or cooktop, whatever it's being connected to over 490,000 times with our customers in the U S and Canada and not had even a single, they call them pot fires if the fire does not escape. So even counting that we've never had anything reported. So flawless, we prevent it before there could be initiation, even just within the pot. The, the issue is on everything else from the, you know, very, I'm not saying brand, I won't say brand names because they're good products. It's just, they're always after the fact. And so specific to the ones where release like baking powder and that, you know, they're waiting for a problem to occur and then they initiate. And, and again, that baking powder, we actually have a number of affordable housing clients and some of which help people uh, homeless people off street and that and they 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 said you know the cleanup is a pain in the ass because that that actually bakes onto everything so that's a that's a downside of that but the biggest so we're totally preventative these all everything else happens after the fact which is a big difference and part of the issue there is and again why we were so persistent before we found bill ferguson's product is the trauma of even if it's a pot fire if you, you know, when people get over 75, 80, some of them get, let's call it, they're less resilient. And what happens is if they have a trauma, like a fire within the pot, or even worse, let's say it spreads a little bit, that can impact their mental, you know, affect them mentally for months afterward, that trauma just impacts them and they become more fearful. So again, that's another reason um, we were um, so adamant that it had to be a preventative product that mom would not, not have like a near miss, but be traumatized by it such that it impact, you know, what, what she felt like. 
and it kind of, as you said, you're preventing any of that from happening. So I know what you're saying. It's almost like a little bit of PTSD afterwards where you've had this traumatic event and you almost don't even want to go in the kitchen and cook again. You know, there's that fear factor. You know, you also talked too about if you're in a panic when you see a small fire and you fall. I mean, let's face it, right? We don't, we aren't maybe as mobile sometimes when we're older. And so either getting out of the house or or falling because, you know, we're trying to get away from, from everything. The other thing too, is if you, you know, are, are concerned and it's a crisis and you pick up that pot and we know the burns, you know, our skin is a lot thinner as we're older. So there's so many problems that could happen. And what you're saying is, you know, it takes a smoke alarm, what, like eight or 10 minutes to go off which, you know, that's a big, that's a big amount of time and you're doing it in five minutes and it's, it's off and it's, there's no fire. No fire. Yeah. Which I think is really, really important, you know, for people to know. The total automation of it. Also, again, with my mom with short-term memory, what the geriatric doctor had said, you know, don't get a new, there's no stove out there with it and there's not going to be for eons and I won't go into why, but he said, you know, if you change out the stove, like to an induction or something, she might not know how to run it and you'll frustrate her and do not frustrate someone with dementia. It affects them throughout the day. And was like, what are we talking about? He said, don't change anything in her home unless it's broken because everything is that tape's been laid down for 10. She lived the same home. She lived in for 40 years. So he says, she knows where everything is. Everything's there. You bring in something new that's functionally different, even going from rotary to touch, you could create a frustrating situation. And it was like, you know, every time we thought we had an avenue, it's like, nope, this is the problem there. And it always came back to, you know, the short-term memory. We just didn't understand the impact of that was much larger than we imagined. I think that because of the the things that we see in dementia, you know, whether it's agitation or whether it's paranoia, you're absolutely right. Anything new that's introduced into the environment you know, can, can really hurt. So Ken, tell us where our audience, because I know we've got them all enthusiastic now, where can they find iGuard Stove? And can you give us kind of a range of the price of what they're looking at? We've uh, solved where to find it. So all the uh, places people are used to buying at is so only online. So for example, uh, Best Buy USA and Best Buy Canada, both carry a product on the website in the US. So we Best Buy, we have Crutchfield, and of course it's on Amazon. And it's a $4.99 for the electric model gas, just because it's more it's it's more things we have to do around gas. It's slightly more. It's uh you know it's closer to it's $5.75. But 95% of our sales are all around the electric, which is $4.99. And again, you know, we have great customer service answering any questions. People do just install it, have a family member do it themselves and they're up and running and then Bill Ferguson reads them all. He, he just loves sending around. He gathers them up per week and sends around. Like, look at all the people we helped this week. And it's just, you know, you just read these ones. And several say, you know, or we get the after the fact. I wanted you to know, dad had three years longer in his home. And we want to thank you for that. We had to move him finally into live with us. But those three years were so good or, or other life events have intruded. But we often get that, that we provided them blank at more time where they wanted to live. Well, and I think that's so important. You know, sometimes you hear, you know, it's $4.99 or, you know, $5.75. And there's a little sticker shock because, you know, we're all facing the inflation and everything that's going on right now. However, 
the point you just made, you can keep your loved one at home. You don't have to move them into something like assisted living, which could be very traumatic with that move. And you get more quality of life for them. And let's face it, you know, who, who doesn't want to invest in the safety of our loved ones? So you can get past, you know, sometimes some of these price points. And also I think the lovely thing is this is not something that you're necessarily going to have to upgrade a lot. I mean, this is it. It fits with every stove that you've got out there and, you know, it'll protect your loved ones, which is great. No, I appreciate your comment. And again, once the people have them, most of the comments center around, once they understand we're perfect at what we do, it's often the good morning message or the alarm or the ability to know they're wandering through the kitchen at night, which they didn't know, which, led, which leads them to discover there's a sleeping disorder. So it's it's all the inobtrusive or unobtrusive, excuse me, monitoring we can do and provide the adult of an aging in place parent. It's that they come back and say, it's just wonderful to have that basic monitoring capability. And they didn't have to think about installing motion detectors or all these other things to provide them with the core of what they needed to know that they were safe in their you're, you're absolutely right. So it's not just even preventing the fires. It's that it's that peace of mind, right? It's that that ability to see those patterns and everything. Well, Ken, it has been delightful to have you on the podcast today. I thank you so much for sharing all this great information and a great solution out there for our listeners. So thanks again for being on. Oh, it's been terrific, Sherry. Thanks so much. So for our welcome design news, uh, I want to go back to our National Home Safety Month for June. And under the Snug Home, which is one of the tabs on the caregivingclub.com website, I actually have a program and a checklist. It's about 100 different questions that I ask of private clients and that I offer those services to other companies to use with family caregivers in really developing a well-home design for our older loved ones, but also for ourselves. So I wanted to share with you just a few of the kind of um, questions that I typically ask on this questionnaire and this survey for well-home design that are based around safety. So the first one we kind of covered, we talked a little bit about fires with Ken. You learned so much, hopefully from that interview, but we want to make sure that we have certain safety measures in place for fires and also make sure that, you know, we have a fire extinguisher that is handy and that everyone knows how to operate and they're capable of operating. The other thing for safety is certainly falls. We know that falls are a huge risk to our senior population. In fact, over 2 million seniors wind up in the ER every year from a fall at home. It's also one of the leading causes of death of our older population. And even if you fall and break your hip and you can certainly recover from that, it often exacerbates other health issues that our older loved ones have. So 80% of falls in the home are in the bathroom. So you want to make sure about, you know, look at things like no slip mats, certainly grab bars. And there's so many beautiful ones out there. There's no excuse now not to have them incorporate them into your design. You want to have good lighting from the bedroom to the bath, particularly again, as we get up late at night, as we are older, we need to make sure that we have a good lighted pathway to get to the bathroom. So I have, you know, some tips on that. Rugs, again, those are trip hazards. So they either have to be really taped down on the edges, or if you can't do that, sometimes what we do is we take the rug and we can make it into a wall design. So we don't have to distress 
somebody who really loves the rug, but it's, it's a safety hazard, we can put it on the wall. And then you want to also think about things like motion controlled lighting, automatic lighting that comes in, particularly outside. This is a huge safety factor, both for, you know, our eyesight, but also to, you know, kind of um, scare off any, you know, would be robbers. Doorbell video cameras, of course, are another big one that a lot of people are opting into for that safety factor. Sharp corners. This is an interesting one because we don't think a lot about the fact that as we get older, we bruise more easily and our skin is thinner. And so when we hit a sharp corner, you know, you can break skin and it can, and again, and it's going to bruise for sure, but it's, it's not, it doesn't feel good, you know, or if you bump into it with your toe or your hip or whatever. So look, look to, you know, mitigate those sharp corners and whether it's a counter or whether it's a table, we often request or talk to a lot of our clients about, you know, when you consider doing something that has more curves and curves are great. We love curves. There's a lot of neuroscience behind why curves make us more comforted, but it's also a a safety thing. And then if you have a loved one with, you know, dementia or or Alzheimer's, you may want to think about putting motion sensors in the home. There are quite a few companies out there now that have a whole system. They know where to put them up. And what this does is this uses machine learning to learn about your loved one's daily predictable activities, they kind of know what the routine is. So then if they sense that something's off, like for instance, a front door has been left open, or maybe they're used to noticing that your loved one's gate, you know, between rooms and all of a sudden maybe they're down, all of these things can alert you because you can be part of the system to get that alert that, you know, something's off, you know, call or, or find out what's going on. Also GPS tracking is really great for loved ones with dementia. So whether you put a little GPS tracker in your loved one's purse, a friend of mine used that with her mom because she couldn't ever find her mom's purse. And so she had to put a little GPS device in there just to make it easier, but also your loved one, uh, they have them now embedded in, in shoes and trainers. And, you know, it's easier than trying to wear like the lavalier for the medical alert around your neck or put something on your belt or whatever. Also look for expired food in the fridge. This is a safety hazard just from a nutrition standard. So you want to use things that are acrylic where they can see the food really easily. And also that there's labels, and then you can put the expiration date really easily on the label. Cause let's face it, expiration dates on some of the food packaging is really awful. Can't read it. I can't read it. You want to clean and replace filters and air conditioning units. You want to check all the batteries and things like carbon um, monoxide detectors and smoke alarms and things like that. Make sure, again, the lighting is really great. Task lighting is really important. And then stairs. You know, we know that stairs are a falls risk and a falls hazard as we age. So you want to have handrails on both sides if you can. And particularly, you know, if it's an entry into the home, maybe from the garage or even from the front, you know, making sure you've got handrails on both sides is really important because if you lose your balance going up or down and there's a rail on only one side, then it's not necessarily going to protect you as you're going to go and grab for that rail. So those are just a few little well home design news. And as I said, you can check out more information on the Snug Home. And if you're interested in becoming one of the clients that we have for Well Home Design, uh, let us know. And uh, we'd be really happy to take you through our survey to find out how your home shapes up in terms of Well Home Design. So with that, we are going to go to our Me Time Monday wellness hack on music and brain health. I'm Sherry Snelling, and welcome to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. In celebration of June 21st as World Music Day, This episode's wellness hack is about how music is tied to neuroscience and our five senses of sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch 
to support our healthier behaviors. While music helps us recall memories and change the way we think and influence the way we behave, it is also a full brain workout. Researchers have found there is a brain music connection where listening to music can reduce anxiety, blood pressure, and pain, as well as improve sleep quality, mood, mental alertness, and memory. But when we make music by singing along or playing an instrument, we are not only tapping certain parts of our brain for memories or behavior, we are practicing good brain health because music making uses all the regions of the brain simultaneously, especially the visual, auditory, and motor cortexes. When Johns Hopkins medical researchers asked jazz and hip hop artists to play music while getting a functional MRI, the musicians' brains lit up like fireworks going off. More than any other brain exercise, music making is the ultimate cross trainer to build better brain function and health. Because musical notes are about the relationships of one note to the next, the rhythm and the tempo, your brain is doing a lot of complex computing. One study found musicians have a 64% less risk of developing Alzheimer's than non-musicians. Also, singing or playing a musical instrument throughout life is neuroprotective, but even if you start your musical journey later in life, the benefits will last a lifetime. Music is the body's natural pain reliever. While music can be like a history tour, such as remembering what tune you loved while in high school, or the song played at your wedding, or some other milestone life event, it can also distract you from pain and fatigue. It can elevate your mood, increase your endurance, and may even promote metabolic efficiency, which is how well our bodies use fat as an energy source. And this is all according to research that was published in Scientific American. Music diverts our attention of bodily awareness, the aches and pains of working out or even illness, and it releases endorphins in the brain. Endorphins give us a heightened feeling of excitement. Music can also help us when we are feeling blue or having a bad day. While it may sound counterproductive, scientists say that listening to sad music can actually help lift your spirits. So when it comes to waking up, what is the best music for mornings? Well, most people tend to listen to music in the afternoons and evenings between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. But researchers say mornings are made for music to set the tone for the day. If you want to feel confident and on top of the world in the morning, music with heavy bass sounds are best. You know, a bass guitar, a saxophone, anything with a low frequency tone that also gives a beat. Great examples are Another One Bites the Dust by Queen or Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. Putting people in the right mood to be productive and active is not new. The famous department store CEO, John Wanamaker, for example, installed an organ in his department store in 1909 to energize his employees in the morning. Similarly, a radio program called Music While You Work was developed in the early 1940s to play music for factory workers. You want to use a playlist of songs in the morning that are familiar to you and tunes that don't have complicated lyrics, but rather repeat an easy chorus. The reason? Well, our brains are used to concentrating on words. So if the words are familiar, they promote energy. 
But if it's a new song or a song with complicated lyrics, then our brains are suddenly concentrating on the song rather than energizing our wake up neurons that promote positive work activity. So what are the best music genres for afternoons and evenings? Well, scientists have discovered that jazz music makes any meal taste fantastic. Charles Spence, who is an experimental psychologist at Oxford University, found taste is affected by sound. He calls this the hedonistic transfer effect. Scientists are now researching what are called musical menus to help with healthier eating based on music played during certain meals and food choices. Restaurants have long used background music to engage diners into eating and drinking more for decades. But now the food industry is taking this music plus eating connection seriously. British Airways recently worked with food scientists to create the Soundbite. It's a menu that pairs music and food because food loses 30% of its taste appeal when you're eating on a plane. In Italy, there's an app to scan a wine label and it'll give you the perfect music track to listen to while drinking that wine that is shown you will enjoy the wine more. In the same way, nutritionists are turning to sonic seasoning to create healthier eating habits through music. So try eating healthy foods and playing jazz music while you eat. When you crave something bad, like french fries or chocolate cookies, play the jazz music and see if you are driven to eat the healthier food. One recent development in music health research is called the Mozart effect, and it refers to a popular scientific theory that listening to Mozart's compositions and other classical music will increase spatial intelligence. While controversial, one thing scientists do agree on is that classical music can be used as a sleep aid. For some, attending an opera or listening to orchestras can lull you to sleep when you're awake. But research suggests classical music allows people to travel through all the stages of rapid eye movement, which is REM sleep needed for better health, and awaken refreshed and recharge for the next day's adventures. In one study, those who listened to classical music around 45 minutes before bedtime had better sleep quality. Even more interesting was that this began on the first night in one study. Moreover, in another study, women with insomnia went to sleep more quickly after listening to their favorite classical music continuously for 10 nights. So choose music with a BPM, which is beats per minute, of about 60 to 80. The reason being is that this corresponds with your body's resting heart rate. My favorite musical sleep aids are Beethoven's String Quartet 14, and Pianto Concerto Number no. 5, Opus 73, or Gabrielle Fauré's Pouvain. We know that music making is a brain workout, but it can also be an aerobic workout as well. David Dworkin, an orchestra conductor and musician, created a program called Conductor Size, which is an experiential music workout that creates joyful and soulful exercise. Think of it like vigorous Tai Chi, arm movements, with music. For family caregivers looking for an exercise for their loved one or to do with their loved one, this combines movement with music. So grab some chopsticks, one for you and one for your loved one, and conduct away to your favorite tunes. 
The conductor size program has proven effective with children, but also Alzheimer's and Parkinson's patients, and is gaining wide recognition with healthcare professionals. One researcher commented, two of the most important qualities of workout music are tempo or speed, and what psychologists call rhythm response, which is more or less how much a song makes you want to boogie. Most people have an instinct to synchronize their movements and expressions with music, to nod their heads, tap their toes, or break out and dance, even if they repress that instinct in many other situations. And finally, music therapy is one of the most powerful tools we have for our own health and those of our older loved ones. Mostly, it can instantly create a release of dopamine, which triggers the brain's reward center to make us feel pleasure. Music, as Dick Clark once said, is the soundtrack of your life. An app called SingFit is one of the best music therapy apps to use with older loved ones to get them to sing along with their favorite oldies tunes. It was created by a noted music therapist. One thing we know is that music memory is the last region of the brain to atrophy in Alzheimer's patients, making music therapy essential in keeping those with dementia engaged. And for family caregivers who struggle to communicate with dementia loved ones in the later stages of the disease, the music brain connection is a powerful tool. We hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday wellness hack. Each episode features a new hack. You can also learn more about the Me Time Monday workshop and my upcoming book at caregivingclub.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club on Air. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com on the podcast tab and email us with any questions or comments at podcast at caregivingclub.com. Take care and stay well.